If you have been worshiping with us for any period of time, you know that in preparation for the new year, since all the way back to 1983, the first Sunday after Christmas, I have encouraged everyone to read the Bible through in a year. So if you have been with us from the very beginning of my ministry and have heeded the call, that means you will have just read your Bible through for the 37th time. So congratulations to those of you who have been persistent and have achieved that milestone. Today, if you have never read your Bible through, I strongly encourage you to do so this year. And as Pastor Brandt said, there are Bible reading schedules in the back to help you achieve that goal. There's loads of Bible reading schedules online. There are many apps. There are all kinds of ways uh, to find assistance in reading your Bible through in a year, and I trust that you will avail yourself of something that will indeed uh, help you with uh, reading through the Bible in a year. And if you have been reading it through, and if you have read it for 37 or more times, I would encourage you to read it the 38th or the 40th or the 50th or whatever year you are on, that you will continue the uh, commitment to reading the scriptures through in a year. There's tremendous benefit in doing so. You will never be able to exhaust the knowledge of the scriptures. There is always more to learn, as well as a need to continually reinforce what you already know. The text that I have chosen this morning comes from Deuteronomy 17. And if you are alert to such things, I used this text back in 2016. And while it is the same text, and so there will be much in common with that message, nevertheless, there are some new tidbits and some deeper thoughts and one of the reasons that I chose to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 16 is to illustrate an important fact. And that is you can revisit a passage of scripture time and time again, and there is still more there. There is still things that you haven't seen. There are still truths that come alive. And so... It's illustrative of the benefit of reading through the Bible year after year after year, reviewing those same texts and being able to see them in light of all of God's word. So the theme of this morning's message is seeking to promote reading through the Bible in a year as we're going to consider the kings of Israel relationship to the scripture. My first point is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 18. Actually, verses 18 through 20 are the particular text this morning. We are picking up where it's talking about the king's relationship to the scriptures. And the first thing we note is that the king shall provide himself with a faithful copy of the scriptures. The king shall provide himself with a faithful copy of the scriptures. In our passage, we are to see the king of Israel as newly enthroned, coming to power. His first days in office, as it were, it's not speaking of any particular king. It's not talking about David, or it's not talking about Solomon, or it's not talking about Saul, 
but it's talking about the kings of Israel in total. What we have before us is the way that all the kings were to conduct themselves, the way in which all the kings were to behave. Not just one king, but all the kings of Israel. And so we begin with the first days of the king, verse 18, when he sits on the throne. When he sits on the throne, it's talking about his inauguration. Much is made about the beginning days of a ruler. It's important to think about what the initial agenda is going to be for those that take office. We are hearing a lot these days about President-elect Biden as he is going to be inaugurated on January 20th. And a lot of attention is being spent on what he says he's going to do the first 100 days in office. Who is going to be his cabinet? What are going to be his priorities? What is he going to seek to achieve? What one does in their first 100 days is quite significant. It speaks of their priorities and it sets the agenda for the rest of their term in office. So in this passage, we find out that the first order of business for the king was to obtain a copy of the word of God. This communicates the scripture's importance for the king's rule and success. That was to be the top priority of the king. The king was to personally make a copy of the scriptures as they had them to that date. Notice verse 18. And when he was, sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a book, a copy of this law. The fact that he was made a copy is evidence that at that time there already existed an authorized written version of the scriptures. There was that from which his copy was to be made. What is very noteworthy is the king was to make the copy himself. If you look at verse 18, it says, And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law. All the major translations of the scripture translate that verse precisely that way. He shall write for himself. I say that because some commentators have taken the position that the king didn't necessarily have to write it for himself. He just had to make sure that he had a copy. He needed to make provision. Someone else could have done it. He didn't need to. But that's not what the text says. The text says that he must write it for himself. But some commentators have seen this as being unreasonable and to some degree unattainable. Why would such a demand be placed upon a king, they reason, when it would have been so much easier for the king just to have delegated the responsibility, to said to a secretary, uh, to said to a scribe, write me a copy of the word of God and bring it to me. Well, obviously that would have been a lot easier, and it certainly would have been a lot simpler. Matthew Henry says, concerning this particular aspect, he said, though he had secretaries about him, whom he might employ to write this copy and who perhaps could write a better hand than he, yet he must do it himself with his own hand for the honor of the law, that he might think no act of religion below himself to ensure himself to labor and study 
and especially that he might thereby be obliged to take particular notice of every part of the law and by writing it might imprint it in his mind. In essence, this was the very first act of obedience to God and to his law. We often hear it said that a ruler is not above the law. The president, we hear, is not above the law. The king was not above the law. What is interesting is that a king normally would establish what the law is as delegated through his word. And so the first act of obedience for the king was to actually sit and take the time to make a copy of the scriptures. The point is that the king was to make a personal investment in time and energy in providing for himself a copy of the word of God. Here's an important lesson. The king did not have anything more important or better to do with his time. There was nothing that would have been of greater significance. The commentators missed the point when they say that this would be outrageous to think that the king would be spending his time making copies of the word of God. Well, I submit to you a lot of people think that it's a waste of time to be reading the scriptures. There are a lot of people that would question, why would you want to do such a thing? Well, it's because of the value that we place upon the word of God, because of the importance that we see as having the word of God. Now, I don't think this applies to us. I don't think that each one of us have to sit down and uh, type out or write out uh, a copy of the scriptures. It's wonderful to give and receive a Bible as a gift, for example. However, if we do need a copy of the scriptures, then we should do what is necessary to obtain one. This is but the very first step in the fidelity of faithfulness to the scriptures. You can't read what you don't have. You can't submit to what you don't know. So before you can read a Bible, you obviously have to have a Bible. And so here, we start with the very initial steps. And that is the king is to provide himself with the word of God by his own hand, by his own effort. The king was under God's authority. Next we see that the copy of the scriptures would be faithful to the original. We see that in uh, the end of verse 18 where it says that he shall write for himself a, in a book a copy of this law and then the phrase approved by the Levitical priests. The uh, priests were to look over this law once it had been copied and make sure that it was accurate. Most likely this was a safeguard so that the king would not alter the word of God. That uh, he would not change what the word of God says. As we think about today and as we think about reading the scripture, there are many translations and paraphrases of the scriptures out there. Unfortunately, some are not faithful to the original text. Many are, some are not. 
So it's very important that we don't just simply read the scriptures, but we read this, a copy of the scriptures that are faithful to the original, that are good translations based upon good manuscripts. I would recommend one of three translations. That's not to say they're the only good translations, but I'd recommend one to three. The first, I would most highly recommend the ESV version of the Bible. That's what we have been using to preach from. And uh, I would encourage you to read it. It's very readable. Uh, there are other readable translations like the NIV, but I don't think the NIV is any more readable than the ESV, and the ESV is a little more faithful to the original than the NIV, so I would say read the ESV. And another reason I say that is because of all the study Bibles that there are out there, and there are a lot, but in my estimation, the best study Bible, as far as the notes are concerned, uh, is the ESV study Bible. Now, I say that, and I'm saying ESV study Bible because there are other study Bibles that use the ESV as their text, but the notes vary. There are a number of different Bibles out there that are ESV translations with different notes. I would encourage the ESV translation and the ESV study Bible in particular. I'd also recommend the American Standard Bible, although that's rapidly falling out of favor in terms of its uh, use. Uh, it's hard even to walk into a bookstore today, and there are such things. Just let me tell you that they exist. There are bookstores today. But if you walk into a bookstore, uh, you're going to find it difficult to find an ASB study by, uh, NASB Bible. But, but they're a good translation, but they're not very prevalent. And the third would be the King James. Uh, and uh, a little harder to read, a little archaic, but it's beautiful. And uh, I would recommend any one of those three to you, but read a good, accurate translation of the scriptures. Secondly, it says the king shall have the scriptures accessible to him at all times. Notice verse 19. It says, and it shall be with him. It shall be with him. He shall have continual access to the scriptures. It shall not simply be copied and then placed in a glass dome or displayed in a prominent place or placed in a cabinet for safekeeping. We all know that there are such Bibles. Uh, one of those kinds of things often are these huge family Bibles. You probably have seen them. You may even have one, and uh, they are interesting. And in the front, a lot of times, marriages and birthdays, and those things are recorded. That's very nice. A lot of times they're prominently displayed on a coffee table, or sometimes they're just hid away in a, in a cabinet somewhere. Uh, the Bible isn't supposed to be hid away. Uh, it isn't supposed to simply be put on display. I don't have anything against the family Bible. I'm just saying that for a Bible to be useful, it needs to be accessible. It needs to be with you. So says the scripture. So this was to be with him. Certainly when he traveled, he was to take the word of God with him. He was not to be without the scriptures, so that he could read them on a daily basis, which we will get to in just a few moments. I would say to you there is great value in having the word of God on us 
Dwight L. Moody, a famous evangelist of years gone by, prided himself in always having a copy of the Word of God on him and encouraged those that heard him to always have a copy of the Scriptures. In fact, he had made a challenge to those that heard him by saying, if anyone ever finds me without a Bible, I will pay them $5. Well, one day, he was at the YMCA, and he was just coming out of the pool and put on a robe, and there was there a young man who had been in the uh, service and had heard the challenge and said, uh, Brother Moody, do you have the Bible on you? And he opened up his terry cloth robe, and inside was a pocket that his wife had sewn, and there was a pocket Bible. And he pulled it out, and he said, yes, I do. Well, years ago, I adopted the habit of carrying a pocket Bible on me. Uh, today, I would not be able to read a pocket Bible. The print is super, super small. But, uh, you know... Today, that is no effort or challenge whatsoever. If you have a smartphone, you can download for free copies of the ESV, the uh, King James, uh, Olive Tree, if you're familiar with that app. Uh, you can get those, uh, and the Olive Tree app is free. So you can get a free app, you can get a free Bible, and if you have a smartphone, you can carry it on you wherever you go. There are other electronic devices that make it super, super easy to have access to the Word of God. And so I would encourage you to do that very thing. Have it with you at all times so that it's accessible and so that you can read it. So if you have a, a smartphone, uh, take advantage of the technology of our day. Of course, the purpose of having the Bible with us is so that we can read it at any time in any place. And that was the purpose for the king. So thirdly, the king shall not only have the scriptures with him, but he shall faithfully read the scriptures. Now we get to the nitty-gritty of the passage and the nitty-gritty of what we're talking about this morning. We see, first of all, why he is to provide himself with a copy of the scriptures and then keep it with him. Why? So he can read it. Uh, that's, it seems so plain and so simple it almost is embarrassing to say it. But, but, it's the crux of the matter. It, it isn't, do you have a Bible? <laughs> and it isn't, do you carry a Bible? It is, do you read the Bible? That's, the important element, and the first two become inconsequential if you don't have a Bible on you. Now, there are some interesting stories about carrying a Bible. These are supposed to be true stories. I don't know. But one of them is a, a person who carried a pocket Bible in his pocket. He was a policeman. He was shot. And the bullet stopped in his Bible. And supposedly it saved his life. It's a neat story and a, kind of an anecdote of why to carry a Bible. But the reason you carry a Bible is not to stop bullets. 
Okay, that's, that's not why it is. And I'd also say to you, it's not to be a good luck charm. You know, people wear crosses. I don't have anything against wearing crosses. And that can be a nice statement. But if it's used as some kind of omen, if you use some kind of good luck symbol, then that's problematic. We don't carry a Bible on us like a rabbit's foot, hoping that it's going to bring us good luck, hoping that uh, we're going to be blessed simply because we have this Bible that we carry around with us, the blessings to be found in the reading of the scriptures, in the reading of the scriptures. And so we find in verse 19, he shall read in it all the days of his life. And as we think about that simple phrase, he shall read it in all the days of his life, it connotes two very important ideas. First, all the days of his life would include the idea of each single day of his life. Every day he is to be reading the scriptures. A king lives a busy life. There is much for a king to do. However, there is not a detailed description of how the king was to occupy his time. There is not a list of priorities of what comes first, second, or third in the day and life of a king. This is a minimalist representation demonstrating the fact that above all other things, including when the king went to war, he was to be reading the scriptures every day of his life. Now, if that is true of a king, and as busy as his day is, and all of the responsibilities that he has, all that he must do, and yet he was to take the time, and better said, make the time, to be reading the scriptures every day, how much more should you and I be reading the scriptures every day? And if we say to ourselves, well, we're just too busy. We have too much to do. Today, I just don't have the time. I submit to you that's not a great excuse. That doesn't speak to the proper priorities. If a king was to read it every day, certainly we should read it every day, and that's one of the assumptions I have about reading the Bible through in a year. Now, there are times that I take the first month in January often and read through the Bible in the month of January to kind of set myself up for the year. But if you do that, then don't say the next 11 months I don't have to read it. I've read it through this year and I'm done. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm assuming that we're talking about reading the Bible every day. When we're talking about reading through in a year, and if you do adopt that practice, it takes uh, three or four chapters a day uh, to make it through in a year. And depending on how fast you read, I would say approximately 15 minutes a day will get you through the Bible in a year. Job says a very interesting thing. In Job chapter 23, verse 12, he says, and I quote, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more 
than my necessary food. He, it says, treasured the word of God more than his necessary food. I imagine most of us have had days in which we were so busy that we skipped breakfast. How many have ever skipped breakfast? Right, right, we skipped breakfast, we skipped lunch, we skipped dinner. There are situations, sometimes we're at the hospital and our loved one is there and we're waiting to see a doctor and people say you should eat. No, no, we want to see the doctor and we go without lunch, or we go without breakfast or go without supper. We, we know that temptation and sometimes we do that. But you can't go without breakfast, lunch, and supper for too many days. That's going to take a toll. That's going to have an impact. That is going to result in poor physical health. And to often skip the reading of Scripture is going to have its toll on our spiritual health, our spiritual well-being, our relationship to the Lord and others. So make time to read your Bible each day. When I say make time, I would encourage you to, to get into a routine. Uh, if you're a morning person, read the Bible in the morning. If you're an evening person, read the Bible at night. Take time. Get in a routine. But part of that routine can be not just simply reading it in the morning or reading it at night and having this set time that you set aside, and that's certainly good, and I have nothing against that. But one of the advantages of carrying the Bible on you all the time is get into a routine of reading your Bible during quote-unquote wasted times. Okay? Time in which you are trying to figure out what to do. <laughs> the times when you are uh, bored. Uh, such times as when you're waiting for someone. Depending on the age of your children, maybe you're driving them to an activity. Maybe you're waiting for an activity to start. You're sitting in your car. You got 15 minutes. Don't waste the time. Uh, don't be searching on your, your phone, uh, looking at the news or whatever. Take the 15 minutes to read your Bible then. And if you already read your Bible, take the 15 minutes to have the opportunity to read it some more. Okay? Lunch hour, breaks. There are all kinds of situations. If you get used to taking the, the 10 or 15 minutes that are available to you, you'd be surprised at how much reading you can get done. You'd, you'd be amazed at the end of the week uh, what you have accomplished. So uh, just be intentional about the use of your time. And then secondly, all the days of his life includes the idea as long as he lives. Verse 19. It shall be with him and he shall read in it all the days of his life. As long as he lives... The king was not just to read the scriptures once, but repeatedly, as long as he lived. So my encouragement to you to read the Bible through in a year isn't just this year, 
But if the Lord tarries and gives us health and strength and we're back here again next year, Lord willing, next year I'm going to say, read your Bible through in a year. And if the Lord tarries and gives us health and I have the opportunity to continue to, to pastor and preach and you're here, it will be, let's read the Bible through this year. All right? It never comes to an end. One of the characteristics of the kings, unfortunately, is oftentimes they didn't end their kingdom well. They started out strong. Take a Solomon. Solomon started off very strong. David started off strong. David, a man after God's own heart. Solomon wandered. He is kind of like the epitome. He's, he's kind of like the poster child of the verses that precede us of uh, not following the advice of the the previous three verses that talk about multiplying wives and, and uh, horses and all the things that a king wasn't supposed to do. And he did all those things, and his heart wandered greatly from the Lord, but he started off well. We don't want to be among those that start off well but end poorly. Uh, it's important that we continue, that we persevere, in what we know to be healthy and good for us, and that is to be reading the scriptures on a daily basis uh, and not quit just because we have read it 37 times or because we think we know our Bibles pretty well. Don't stop. Don't stop. All the days of your life, as long as you live, whether you're retired or not retired, whether you're still teaching Sunday school or you don't teach it anymore. Doesn't matter. Read the scriptures all the days of your life. And now we come to the purpose. What is the benefit? What, what is going to be achieved by the reading of the scriptures each and every day of our lives? What, what can we expect as an outcome? Uh, there are many things that I would like to say about the benefits but I'm going to limit myself to what the text says. It lists four of them. And I'm going to go over them with you. And uh, uh, I trust that it will be a help. There is much that could be said, as I, as I said, but I'm going to limit myself to what's found in verses 19 and 20. The first benefit or outcome of daily reading the scriptures is to develop a greater awareness of God's greatness. That is to stand in awe of God. Look at verse 19. And it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life. And then here's the purpose clause. Here's, here's why. First, <coughs> that he may learn to fear the Lord as God. Learn to fear the Lord as God. It is awfully difficult to translate the word fear into English with all of the connotations that it has in the Hebrew. Fear is an apprehension of danger and a sense of our own weakness. To learn not to trust in ourselves, but to trust in God alone. That we are inferior to God. Uh, it's not a great way to sum it up either. There is no simple way to address this important subject, but... Uh, I would say to know that God is awesome, worthy of all amazement, wonder, adoration, 
to recognize God's greatness, to exalt God. He is far superior to all things. Nothing is comparable to God. And the greatest benefit of reading the scriptures is to gain a knowledge of God. An intimate knowledge of God. To try to get a better understanding of who he is and what is our relationship to him. I just uh, read lately a book by Charles Bridges uh, written in the 1800s. Charles Bridges has said this, and I quote, God is the substitute for everything, and nothing can be a substitute for him. I, think I, I, I love that quote. God is the substitute for everything. Everything you think you need in life, ultimately, God provides every good gift cometh from above. Every fear that you have, every need that you possess, ultimately God is the answer. God is the substitute for everything and nothing is the substitute for God. God can't be replaced by money. God can't be replaced by hard work. God can't be replaced by ingenuity. God can't be replaced by human effort. Nothing can replace God in your life. No person can. Your wife can't. Your kids can't. Nothing can be substituted for God. We need God. We are dependent upon God in all things. He is the creator. He's the giver. He's the sustainer of life. <coughs> Read the scriptures. <coughs> Excuse me. So we read the scriptures to gain a better understanding of who God is. And so what will that produce? Now we have a subset of what it means to learn to fear the Lord, God, Lord uh, his God. There are two subpoints to that. First, in verse 19, by keeping all of his words. The Hebrew word for keeping, there are 24 different words translated into English as keeping. What uh, is the word here is means to safeguard so that the word is not lost or forgotten. And if you remember, uh, there were times in which the word of God was lost in Israel when they were repairing the, the uh, temple. They found a copy of the word of God in the time of Hilkiah. Uh, obviously had not been reading it. Obviously had not been cherishing it. So we are to safeguard our view of God by reading the scriptures. The word of God is self-authenticating. The word of God itself produces faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by word of God. It, the word of God helps us grow in our faith. The word of God is effectual, it's powerful, sharper than two-edged sword. It ministers to us. 
And so as we read the scriptures and learn of who God is, then we have a greater appreciation for his word. We will value it more. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I know many of you have memorized those verses. Trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. To acknowledge him is to view him as God in all of its implications. And as we remember who God is, and this word is his word, we trust in it rather than our own ingenuity, rather than our own thoughts. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. As higher as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. We can't stand in judgment over God's word. God's word stands in judgment over us. And the more we read it, the more convinced we are of that. And the more we are safeguarded in our own thinking, in our own lives, as we yield ourselves to the word of God. Secondly, in all of God results in obedience to God. For it says in verse 19, by keeping the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, doing them, it means to do with hard labor. God's word is the final authority. We have said this morning, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto our path. We don't read the Bible just for comfort. We don't read the Bible just so that we can feel good, have warm fuzzies, be able to sleep and rest at night. We read the scriptures in order to follow the scriptures. James says, do not deceive yourselves by being hearers only, but not doers of the word. It isn't so we can just check off our Bible reading schedule and say, okay, I read the Bible today. Now I'm in a right relationship with God. It isn't so that we can somehow earn God's favor and God looks down upon us and pats us on the back because we've read the scriptures. It isn't an end in of itself. We don't just read the scriptures to read the scriptures. We read the scriptures to believe and obey the scriptures, to incorporate the scriptures into our lives, that they are the fabric of our decision-making process, and they are the basis of our hope and expectation in relationship to what God has promised and what God will do for us and what God expects of us, which leads us to the second point. These all are uh, building upon each other. They're they're like uh, bricks in a wall. The second benefit of daily reading the scriptures is to develop a proper perspective on life. Verse 20, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. He's talking about the king, and the king was not to be exalted above others. The king was to be the functional head of the people. The functional head. If you look at Deuteronomy 17, 14, it says, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you uh, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king, key word here, over me, 
Verse 15, you may set a king over you. So this is the functional headship. Here is the fact that the king is to be leader among the people. But it doesn't mean that he was to be superior to the people. It doesn't mean that he was greater than the people. You know, we have this wonderful document in the United States that says that we are, that all men are created equal. And they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The thought is that no one person is greater than another. In the sight of God, we are all the same. And the ruler was not to view himself as superior to those over whom he ruled. He was not to see himself as a cut above. He was not to be self-serving. And that's why it says in verses 16 and 17, he did not acquire many horses for himself. Caused the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said, you shall not return again that way. He shall not acquire many wives for himself. Lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. He is not to live above his people. But he is to see himself as servant of his people. So as we read the Bible, we're to better understand, first, what our relationship is to the Lord, and then secondly, what our relationship is to our fellow men, our fellow believer, and even others. So we read the scriptures, and we learn how to treat others, our spouses, our children, our employees, our employers, our friends, and yes, even our enemies. And so we are taught to turn the other cheek, etc. This is all a part of our Christian duty, as there are two great commandments. The first is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. The second is, like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So in learning to fear God, we learn how we're to respond to the others round about us. The third benefit or outcome of daily reading the scriptures is to develop and maintain a consistency of life. To stay the course. Notice verse 20. Starting with the words, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left. So we don't wander. There is an old phrase Maybe it's familiar to you, walking the straight and narrow. Staying on the right path, not deviating from God's word or God's truth. Consistency of life. The psalmist in Psalm 19 writes an ode to the scriptures. Psalm 19 begins by talking about the knowledge of God that we have from creation. Psalm 19 begins by saying, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. The idea is that creation speaks, that creation tells us about God. Creation reveals to us that there is a God, Romans chapter 1. 
For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse. There is much we can learn from creation. And having said that, there is so little that we can learn from creation. Israel was a blessed nation. And Romans chapter 3 asks the question, in what way was Israel a blessed nation? Romans chapter 3, it says, what advantage then hath the Jew? And it says, much in every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. What advantage did the Jew have? They had his word. What an advantage. How blessed are we today to have the word of God? There are so many cultures around the world that are without the scriptures, that need them be translated into their language. We have the word of God. We have it to such accessibility. We need to treasure that. But in this great ode of Psalm 19 that starts by saying the heavens declare the glory of God, then it goes on to the superiority of the scriptures. And picking up at verse 9, it says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Then it says this, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Keep me from presumptuous sins. Keep me from the little sins. So it goes on to say, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. If you're worried about what you say, and if you are worried about what you think about, if you're mindful of what is really going on deep down inside of you, what you want, what you desire, what you crave, what you long for, and you ask God to guard your thoughts, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, the things that I think about, the things that I reflect upon, the things that I set as goals, the desires that I have. Lord, if you guard that, then I will be upright, and I'll be innocent from the great transgression. I won't have to worry about committing the big sins if I fight hard against the little sins. That's the conclusion of the psalmist when he's delighting in the word of God. For the word of God checks those little sins in our lives. The fourth benefit or outcome of daily reading the Bible is a faithful and godly life that will benefit others, including future generations. Verse 20, the last statement. So that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. 
that the king would be able to continue on. They would not be removed. Remember, Saul is removed from the kingship because of Saul's disobedience to the Lord. There are so many people that are removed from ministry that are not able to continue on because of their sinfulness, because of their activities, because of their lifestyle. That he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. It's thinking not only of the king, but of his future generations. I submit to you today that we read the Bible and are faithful to the word, not only for the benefit of ourselves, but of our children, our grandchildren, and our believing community. Read your Bible for the godly impact it will have on your children and grandchildren. Let your children see you read the scriptures. I learned an important lesson from my mother. My mother was a very, very godly woman. She read the scriptures and memorized the scriptures. One of the ways that she accomplished the memorization of the word of God was that uh, in our kitchen, right above the sink, there was a window. And uh, my mother would type up three by five cards with memory verses on them and she'd prop them up on the windowsill. That's a vivid picture in my mind. They were always there, constantly changing as my mother would just memorize the scriptures as she did the dishes. Let your children see that you're reading the scriptures. Set an example. My father was a spiritual leader in our home. He was an elder in the church. He was a Sunday school teacher and a prayer meeting leader. But my mother was the one who really excelled in teaching the scripture. She also taught Sunday school, ladies Bible studies, and good news clubs. She taught all ages. And my mother was the one who was a student of the scriptures and read voraciously. My mother exceeded my father in this area. It was my mother who instilled in me a love for the word. As far as I can remember, as a child growing up, every night my mother would read me a Bible story. And she'd read them in such a way that they would come to life. They were thrilling. And she would apply them. She'd teach me the scriptures. She had no formal Bible education. She did not go to Bible college. She did not go to seminary. She simply read and reread and studied her Bible. I've had the privilege of going to Bible college and seminary, but under some very, sat under some very godly and gifted men, people who have influenced me tremendously. But the greatest spiritual influence by far was my mother. She provided the spiritual formation of my life. Mothers, do not underestimate the tremendous value that you can have in teaching and modeling the Word of God. In your children's lives.
it will have an impact. Train up a child in the way that they should go. When they're older, they shall not depart from it. Trust in the Lord. Read the scriptures, not only for your own benefit, but for the benefit of your children. Men, don't underestimate the value of being a spiritual leader in your home. The life choices you make will affect your entire family. The priorities that you establish, the examples that you set, the advice that you give, what you instill in your child as being the most important, that which you congratulate them on, that which you encourage them to do, is going to have a profound impact on their own life's choices. Encourage your children to read the word after you have read the word. You can't afford to neglect God's word. It's the most valuable, worthwhile, and yes, delightful way to spend your time. Delightful way. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 148, My eyes anticipate the night watches, that I might meditate in your word. In other words, he looked forward to when night would come. When day was over. When the work was done. He longed for the night time. Because then he could meditate on God's word. Then he would have opportunity to read it. He looked forward to reading the word of God. Bible study is addicting. And I say that in the good sense of the word. Study creates a desire for further study. Some people only know the discipline of study. And they have not persevered or experienced the delight in study. Let me give you an illustration. In high school, I was on the basketball team. And the basketball team used running for two purposes. One, to get in shape. You know, you, you had to run the run sprints. You, you had to run the suicides, you know, up to the foul line and back and half court and back and three quarters back and all the way up and back. And you did that time and time again. You ran to get in shape. You ran to get in shape. You ran to get in shape. And then the second reason you ran was for punishment. You made a mistake, take a lap, all right? You had, uh, you turned the ball over in a game, next practice, take five laps. You ran because you messed up. Running was a punishment. That's how I understood running. Then I went out for track. And when I was on the track team, I was a two-miler. I ran distance. And there I had a coach that was telling me the joys of running. The delight of being able to go out and, and to run and how you can enjoy running. Okay. Initially, I had a hard time reconciling those two ideas. Running to get in shape, running because you're punished, and over here, run because it's a wonderful thing. You'll love it. You'll delight in it. That's great. I ask you this morning... How do you view reading the scriptures? How do you view reading the scriptures? Is it a, just one of those disciplines that you got to do that you 
really don't enjoy, that you don't really like, you don't really appreciate. Hard work, waste of time. Or is it a delight? Is it a joy? Do you see it as valuable, beneficial? Do you look forward to the opportunity? Do you get upset when there are things that distract you and keep you from it? When you have this desire to read and you can't because there are other things to do. How do you view it? I hope you will get to the point, if you are not there already, that you will look forward to those times in which you have the opportunity to read the scriptures. You guard that time. You delight in that time. You want to make the most of that time. See ourselves as tremendously blessed in having the scriptures, having them accessible to us. Don't squander that privilege. Don't take for granted the blessing that we have in having the word of God. Don't ignore it. Be like Job. Job said if you, Job said, I treasure God's word more than my necessary food. If you get up in the morning and you gotta skip something, skip breakfast, don't skip the word. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us. Help us to value, appreciate your word. May we first stand in awe to think that God would speak to us. May we such, have such a high view of your word. May we see it as though the heavens were to open and your voice would be heard and called out to us. Who would ignore that spoken voice? Lord, help us to stand in awe and to truly believe you have spoken to us so that we might delight in your word. We might cherish your word. We might keep your word, preserve your word, and then obey your word. Oh, Lord, guard our hearts and minds. We want to end well. And we know that you have given us your word to preserve us and to keep us. Our hearts. And if we are concerned about, quote unquote, the small sins, Lord, it will preserve us from the great sins. Lord, your word is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It reveals our hearts. It reveals our minds. It shapes our hearts. It shapes our minds. Lord, help us to be a people of your word this year. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.